0: Forge family, chapter 3 of the prophet Jonah recounted his second commissioning to the prophet to walk up on Nineveh. That's 550 miles, and Jonah decided that he didn't want another death experience, and he obeyed. On arrival... um, the Lord had given him what was promised, which was, I'm going to fill your mouth you know, when it, with the appropriate message at the appropriate time. And so he walks one day into Nineveh. Uh, and that means he probably walked through multiple um, housing districts, centers, markets, etc. All the time proclaiming what the Lord's message was, which, which was, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown word of the impending judgment from this unknown god Elohim moved all the city to clothe themselves with sackcloth and to begin to fast Uh, their hope in that was that it would appease this unknown god it would placate this god and so uh, when the king of, of Nineveh heard this prophecy being released he joined the people of Nineveh. He mirrored their response. He put on sackcloth and he sat in the dust. And then he issued a a proclamation that said, um, we're all gonna fast, we're all gonna seek to repent for our um, violence and our wickedness, and no one is to taste anything. No animal and no person is to put anything in their mouth. Well, that would have made the city a cacophony of Uh, crying babies, <clears throat> crying children, moaning adults, uh, bellowing cattle, and bleating herds. The Lord God, seeing the external repentance played out across this population of 120,000 people, um, <clears throat> that to them it was an external repentance. It wasn't a coming I got to know this God. It was just, I got to placate this God. Nevertheless, Elohim, the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, relented from his stated desire to turn Nineveh upside down and destroy it. Let's pray. Lord God, who knows us, who discerns us at the deepest levels, we would be a company of believers who keeps bowing the knee and the heart to you. Being saved does not entitle us to make unrighteous choices. Instead, Lord, we continually need the awareness of your mercy poured out on us in Christ. Holy Spirit, thank you for how you convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And since that's true for us, we know that you, Lord, the Spirit, do that as well upon those who don't know you at all. The Spirit of holiness, Lord, you're the one who opens hearts and lives for mankind to come to the Father through the sacrifice of Christ. Help us learn to pray for the lost through the eyes of mercy. In your name, amen. So today we're going to finish up Jonah chapter 4. As the prophet gets up in God's grill over the reversal of the proclamation that that the prophet had been preaching in Nineveh, Verses 1 to 3 opens the discourse, but it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order, put on my glasses, therefore, in order (laughs) to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life. Uh, For death is better to me than life. So that opening line is really amazing. Literally, it is translated, but it was evil to Jonah with great evil. So Jonah, knowing the strictures of absolute fulfillment of prophecy in Israel, feared that the Lord relenting on the catastrophe that Jonah had been prophesying, that Jonah would then be perceived as a false prophet and be stoned. And with all his being, the prophet desired the total destruction of the Assyrian city. Jonah judged the Lord God for acting against him. He puts God in the dock and he calls it great evil. Jonah knew that the Lord was aware of his heart cry and thoughts about preaching in Nineveh as the, uh, uh, to the Assyrians before Jonah turned and fled to Joppa, took passage on the ship to Tarshish. Jonah continues to say that his flight toward Tarshish was right. He knew that the Lord God was a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. And here he's quoting Exodus 34, Numbers 14. Nehemiah 9, Psalm 86, and Joel chapter 2. This is, this is a steady, repeated reminder to Israel over the centuries. And Jonah knew it. God's grace. It's his grace that relates to those outside of his covenants with every and any individual who does not know him. Jonah knew God's character and expected God to be merciful to those who did not deserve it. And he hated that with everything within him. To him, God's loving kindness was for Israel alone. God's mercy on Nineveh was a misdirection of his attributes according to Jonah. Do you recall James and John, called the sons of thunder, if you will, that passionately called on Jesus to rain down fire on the Samaritans? Luke chapter 9 here—it's a similar disrespectful rant up in God's face regarding Jonah's desire for destruction of the Assyrian city. He begins his prayer with the same, "O oh Lord! That was the wording that the Phoenician sailors used when they cried out to God for mercy. And those sailors were moving toward conversion, but Jonah was moving towards utter alienation in his heart as he desired to blot out 120,000 souls. Verse 3 has Jonah pleading with God to take his life. His spirit is in such a twist, upset with what he perceives as the evil that the Lord has done in Nineveh. Jonah knows God's character as he described it, but refuses to let God be God. That makes his, quote, knowledge of God, unquote, absurd. God is only good when it's about Jonah personally. Or about Israel. Death is better than life if he has to accept a different view of God than what he's clinging to. Jonah is echoing the words of Elijah when he fled from Jezebel. Now both those prophets were swamped in their perception of their own personal entitlement at that moment, saying, I would rather die than believe something different. Jonah would rather remain incandescently angry with God and continue to disagree with him then repent of his rebellion and begin to live in submission to God. Verse 4 gives us the Lord's response. And the Lord said, do you have a good reason to be angry? The Jerusalem Bible translates that line just like this. says, have you any right to be angry? Now, here the Lord is not rebuking Jonah for his rant at God. Job and Jeremiah, both in agony, had tried to come to grips with God what God was doing and to understand his ways, and and they were using language that some might conceive as blasphemous. The Lord showed his compassion to all three of those men, Job, Jeremiah, and Jonah. One of my mentors told a story. Uh, about a young man standing, raging at God and raging at a small congregation in a small um, Scottish Scottish church. And uh, what he repeated to shout over and over again was, I just want my rights! And he did it over and over and over. And an elderly gentleman seated sort of behind him reached up and jerked on the tail of his coat and said, laddie, if you had your rights, you'd be in hell. This passage here in Jonah is unprecedented in the Old Testament, where a man, a prophet, a prophet of the Lord no less, rejects God's display of grace on Nineveh, whom the prophet deems unworthy. Jonah had tried once uh, to get away from God, from Yahweh, asking even to be thrown overboard to die rather than to have to deal with God. Here is his second demand made to God, Uh, that he finds God's ways intolerable and he wants to die. The conclusion to draw here is that Jonah had never, ever experienced God's grace and mercy for himself, in spite of death and resurrection at the hand of God. Even here, God's mercy and patience is displayed and offered to Jonah. Verses 5 to 8 tells of Jonah's response to the Lord's question, you know, do you have any reason to be, you know, to be angry? <clears throat> the Lord uh, it says, then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to shade over him, over his head, to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm uh, when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. And it came about when the sun came up that God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die. Death is better to me than life. The prophet was unwilling to answer God's question about his anger. And he just kept, he turned and he walked out of the city. Now he'd arrived in Nineveh from the south south west. And he, as he walked through the city, he passes out through the, the city gates and he's on the east side. And that side of the, the city of, of Nineveh was a, the side that was away from the Tigris River. So it would have been uh, more, um, uh, more desert-like. It would have been hotter. It would have been, um, it, you missed the humidity coming off the river. He perched himself on some height where he could observe what would happen. Let's see, would God change his mind again? Would the people turn away from repentance and, and bring the calamity that the Lord had Jonah to announce? What would be the fate of the city? And he built himself a, a small shelter or a hut, not unlike what the, all the Israelites did when they came up to Jerusalem for the, the a tabernacle, The Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. They would Every family would have their own little shelter. You'd typically built on a rooftop. And they would do that at harvest time just prior to the Day of Atonement. So uh, Jonah knew what he was doing when he built this little hut. He'd done it all his whole life. And then it says that the Lord appointed, dispatched, and positioned. See, that's the same word that was used about the fish. That fish was was spoken to by the Lord to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, before the storm, before the, before the boat arrived, before Jonah was pitched overboard. Same word. Okay, the Lord appointed, dispatched, and positioned a vine to grow up over the shelter that Jonah had made. Now, some scholars say, oh, no, that, that had to be a castor bean plant. They can grow 40 feet tall, just... They just scramble up the side of buildings. Um, they might be number two in the world. Bamboo is the fastest-growing plant in the world. You can put feet a day, you know, feet and feet and feet a day. But this castor bean plant would have grown up over the top of the shelter and and provided its leaves as more shade. And other scholars no go no no no. The other option, best option, is to it would have been a gourd you know, that has big broad leaves and grows rapidly and would have covered that shelter in a matter of a couple of hours to give shelter from the sun so uh, Jonah could sit there in comfort. <clears throat> Jonah was over the top pleased with the plant's shade. Just that he was over the top displeased at God for relenting on the prophecy he had delivered. Jonah was super focused on his own comfort. Summer temperatures in that region of Mesopotamia, they run to 100 100 degrees plus every day. Blazing sunshine is in the the forecast. And then the text says that the Lord appointed, dispatched, and positioned a worm, some larval form of chewer, to attack the vine at dawn. Now, such attacks by a larval form are often subsurface, beneath the surface of the soil, and they chew off, they just chew off the root so that the plant withers, collapses. I've watched that happen in my garden. I went out, I was checking all my broccoli plants, and all of a sudden one of the broccoli plants weaves back and forth and collapses, and there's no root. It's been chewed off. Same thing with this worm that came and took out the vine or whatever it was that had covered the, the shelter that Jonah had built and then it says the Lord positioned, dispatched and appointed a scorching east wind now in the Mediterranean region there are um, calm scene there's, there's a, a blazing hot wind that rises in the Sahara and blows due north and my friend um, Vince Costa has ministered on Sicily for most of his life and when that happens people flee their homes they go to the beach because the ambient temperature is 125 degrees and it's hotter indoors also you get a north or north uh, a north sometimes a northwest and a or a west wind out of the Arabian desert in either case the wind out of the Sahara or off the uh, Arabian deserts they, they, they decimate crops green things shrivel up and die and they just beat down on the human population and on animals. Now here, <clears throat> the scorching wind <clears throat> that arose from the east beat down on, on, on um, Jonah. Again, ambient temperature may have exceeded 125 degrees. That wind would have risen out of Kurdistan, out of the, the, the Caspian Sea region and beyond. It turns to desert. <clears throat> In his thirst... In his weakness. Okay, Jonah did not seek shelter in Nineveh, but cried out for the third time that he wanted to die rather than live. Verses nine to eleven sets the, the Lord's response before Jonah. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And and he said, Jonah said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. And then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and for which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. And should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do, know, do not know the difference between the right hand and their left hand, as well as many animals? Jonah responds that he was absolutely, he had absolutely... Good reason to be angry, believing that his anger is good. And God's treatment of Nineveh was evil. His anger is so intense he seeks death. God's final answer cuts off that response from Jonah, not allowing the prophet's folly to go unanswered. God points out that he cares for the 120,000 souls in Nineveh, while Jonah cares for the withered plant. The former had no knowledge of the revelation of of Yahweh and his self-revealing covenants with Israel. They were were utterly ignorant of the the God of Israel. God's compassion extends to all the animals as well. The Lord is saying to Jonah, your concern should have been the people of the city and not your personal comfort. God's intent was that ancient Israel would respond to the blessings of Yahweh that they would turn and be a source of blessing to the surrounding nations which is what's found in Genesis 12 they didn't do that yet coming coming in the last days okay we see that now the same is true of us Ford family for we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good just having orthodox beliefs the right doctrine loving all of the scriptures that doesn't fulfill what the Lord has for us. Our gratitude for salvation should so change our hearts, our will, our priorities and actions that we live out the Lord's ways before our neighbors and other nations. The opposite would leave us entangled in bent entitlements, a twisted view of scripture as with Jonah and a steady gaze at our navels would be all about us. So, Forge family, we want to increasingly display the gracious triune God that we worship. Let's pray. Lord God, who who is a gracious God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity, we would be like you. Uh, not like Jonah. Some of us may have to walk through the things and events that you pre-position in our lives to arrive at a humble place, bowed before you, ready to repent and begin to follow you hard after you. Lord, thank you for your patience with us and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.